0: This podcast is sponsored by Harrington Interactive Media. Writing a memoir? Hire Harrington Interactive Media to help you write and release your book, even if it's just for your family to keep your family story alive. See examples and schedule a discovery call at harringtoninteractive.com. This is the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. We are a group of men who gather together to encourage each other in friendship and in faith, and to support each other to be better husbands, fathers, and better men in the marketplace and in our communities. Friendship at NCS happens through our regular meetings in local chapters all across the country. The Franklin, Tennessee chapter meets the first and third Thursdays of each month at Puckett's Grocery and Restaurant in downtown Franklin from 7 to 8 a.m. This week, we heard from Charles McGowan in his talk called, Missing Alice. And I wanted to go ahead and apologize for the quality of the sound on this one. We didn't have our regular setup, but we captured the audio anyway, and we wanted you to hear it. So here it is. Here's Charles.
1: We're really not trying to have Christ Presbyterian Church pastors speak, but if you remember, the last time we were here together, Scott Saul spoke, who is the current pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church. I got to know Charles when he and Alice moved up from Dothan, Alabama to become pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church, and for 10 years, maybe? 15 years. He was senior pastor at Christ Press. Then when he left, or I guess actually while he was there, he started, to helped start Operation Andrew Group, which is a fabulous organization to bring Christians and Nashville together And it has several different aspects on several different ministries, but it arose to some extent out of the heart of Charles for the poor, for the underprivileged, for the different people in Nashville, not quite like you and me. Charles about four years ago, along with Neil Anderson came and talked to us about what it's like to take care of your wife when she is becoming debilitated and giving yourself to take care of her. And at the time I said, Brothers, let's listen to them, to Charles and Neil, because one out of six of us statistically will be caring for our wives at some point. Alice, Charles' wife, died a year ago last Saturday, and he has been on a journey this past year of grief and aloneness, and so we asked Charles to come and tell specifically about the last year of his life. And if you, I'm sorry, I almost forgot. Here's a, a sign-up sheet. If you want to get on our email list, uh, I send out an email twice a month. Just write your name and your email address.
2: Well, thanks, Larry. It's a great joy and honor to be here, and um, I'm going to keep my eye on the clock in light of what you said about preachers. <laughs> Several years ago, I read Nancy Pierce's uh, wonderful book called Total Truth, which helped me tremendously get a better grasp on the whole concept of a worldview. And Nancy Piercy says in this book that every person has a worldview, conscious of it or not, and that every worldview is an attempt to answer three questions. Question number one How did it all get started? Question number two, what happened? What went wrong? And question number three is, how can we fix it? Well, those of us who are Christians have a a biblical, Christian, world and life view and clear answers on all of those questions. Of course, how did it all get started? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he created it good. And uh, and the crowning glory of his creation, the apex of his creation was man. Created in his own image. Created in such a way that they could have fellowship with God. And then man, created in the image of God, had the capacity to rebel against God, and man did rebel against God. And so what God created got broken. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 8. Very interesting Section there, I think it's 18 through 25 or something. He says that the whole creation groans and travail and pain as a result of the sin. And even we as individuals groan in travail and travail in pain, looking forward to the day when we will be redeemed, which takes us to the third question. Uh, how can it be fixed? And the answer is the gospel. God set in motion, uh, even uh at the time of man's fall and the, uh, uh, the penetration of sin into the, into the uh, creation, God set in motion a plan of redemption. And the essence of that plan is embodied in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And through Him, uh, everything will be redeemed. We will be redeemed, those who trust Him, and the world that He created will be redeemed. That's our... Biblical world in my view And I mention it because I live every day As a Christian Very mindful of the fact that I'm a broken man I struggle every day With the fact that I'm a sinner And that I struggle with The sin that all men To some degree or other struggle with But not only that I live in the middle of a broken world And uh, It's broken with regard to uh, The natural order of things but it's broken in terms of human relationships and uh, governments and institutions and so forth and so on. We live in a broken world. That brokenness took on a brand new dimension for me in about 2007 when Alice was diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment, dementia. And not only did she have dementia, she also had declining general physical health. And so, as I, Neil Anderson, and I addressed to you about three or four years ago, we talked about what it's like to uh, care for our wives as our primary ministry. Um, and Alice and I learned how to do that. And uh, it wasn't easy. Uh, her dementia produced for her discouragement, uh, confusion. Uh, inability to retain things in her mind, inability to have uh, intimate, deep relationships with with people, particularly with me, and uh, and then add to that the fact that uh, she developed a pretty severe heart problems, spinal stenosis, uh, uh, arthritis in her knees, and on and on and on, and um, and so with declining health, we were reminded. Every day, regulated during the day that we live in a fallen, broken world. That all changed for Alice uh, on July 14, 2017. uh, Because God graciously came and rescued her from her body, which had become a prison. And so let me just tell you, Alice is doing great today. Charles is not doing so great. And um, so, on that day, I embarked on a brand new journey. A journey I'd never taken before. A journey I hadn't really anticipated or thought much about. A journey that um, the major portion of it has to be walked alone. And um, and it's been for me... Um, an interesting experience, and uh, Larry told me when I asked him exactly what you want me to say, he said, well, pretend think of yourself as a scout, having gone out and uh, experienced things, and come back and give us a report because a lot of men in the group are going to probably have to experience the same thing one day, so here, here's your scouting report uh, this morning. Uh, several things about my journey. Uh, first of all, I want you to know that it was a very painful and dark journey, and it's marked with lots of hills, lots of valleys, um, uh, it's kind of scary. I've been on this journey for one year, and I hope that by now, uh, I would be able to see a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, uh, but uh, i was sad to report to you that, um, that I'm not there yet. As a matter of fact, to discourage you further, I, um, I'm told by brothers who have been on this journey uh, in advance of me who brought me a scholarly report that for them it took three years and sometimes even more than that. And uh, <clears throat> so that, that wasn't very encouraging to me. But I want to tell you that the journey is marked with with loneliness, with pain, discouragement, um, lots of questions, a lot of heartache, a lot of tears along the way. But also, it's to be perfectly honest, it has been marked with a lot of positives. It has been for me a tremendously rich experience because it's been an arena in which God has taught me Uh, So many things I didn't know before. Uh, For instance, last April, John Perkins was in the city speaking at Christ Press Academy. Uh, John, as many of you know, I think, is uh, a dear, dear, wise and gifted African-American brother. He is uh, one of my living heroes. He's older than I by about four or five years. And um, so whenever he's in town, we try to get together. So we had dinner together and uh, uh, enjoyed talking about Vera May and how Vera May was doing and where I was in my grief journey and so forth and so on. And then later that evening he spoke uh, to the students and and uh, uh, faculty and parents at Christ Press Academy. And uh, if you have read his book, Let Justice Roll Down, you recall that he tells in great detail about uh, being converted and moving from California back to to, uh, Mississippi and started a ministry called Voice of Calvary and how one night after he got back to Mississippi he was just walking down a road a dirt road uh, with some other men and uh, uh, a sheriff's deputy stopped them, arrested them, took them to jail and tortured them all night and somebody asked the question of John that evening uh, John, how did you handle that? and he said, well While I was being beaten and tortured. um, I prayed for them. And I prayed for myself. That God would give me grace. To love them and forgive them. And then he said something that deeply impacted me. That really related to where I was in my grief journey. He said you know. God expects us to be good stewards of our suffering. Well. It just so happened that a couple of days later I was to speak at a, a breakfast with my Christian church uh, to the leaders as they launched their stewardship season. And so my task was to speak on stewardship. And I said somewhere in my talk, you know, uh, stewardship is more than time, talent, and treasure. Stewardship is managing for the glory of God everything that God has deposited into you. Relationships. Relationships. Uh, um, opportunity. Um, experience. Everything is to be managed for the glory of God uh, for the benefit of the kingdom. And then I said, almost as a as a as a PS, even your suffering. Of course, I picked that up from John. And during the question and answer session somebody raised the question How do you steward suffering? I don't get that. I've never heard that before. And I said, well, it comes right out of 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. Uh, We're we're exhorted to comfort those with the very same comfort with which we've been comforted. And I said, so I'm in the middle of a period of great suffering as I grieve the uh, departure of my wife. I was married to her for almost 59 years and my heart is overwhelmed with grief and God is comforting me on a daily basis and as soon as I answer your question, I'm going to get in my car and drive to Gainesville, Georgia to minister to my older brother who just put his wife in hospice and my task is to be a good steward of my suffering by comforting him. That's just an example of how God has taught me during this year and how he's enriched my life, even as I've journeyed on this journey of grief. But I've also learned that that um, uh, this journey is is um, is fraught with lots of peril and um, lots of danger. And so, in the journey, God has taught me certain lessons. Uh, one lesson is, every person's grief journey is unique. I, uh, there's so many variables in our lives. Uh, my relationship with my wife is probably different from your relationship with your wife in so many different ways. Uh, the circumstances of her death. Uh would be different from probably the circumstances of death in your own family and so forth and so on. Even the dynamics of your marriage. And so um, I've learned that it's not wise for me to assume that my grief journey is an adequate template for another person to follow. And so I usually say to people uh, who are just starting this journey I don't have any advice to give you except to say, just stay close to God. Just stay close to God. And, and then I would say to them, don't allow yourself to become isolated. Uh, immerse yourself in the community of believers uh, as you move down this, this journey. And also recognize that nobody can take this journey for you. Only you can take it. The scriptures in one place tell us to bear one of those burdens. And then in another place it tells us each man must carry his own burden. Uh, nobody can grieve for me. They can love me. They can pray for me. They can encourage me. But uh, I've got to walk this lonesome journey. I've got to walk it all by myself. being Jesus. And so I, uh, I've learned that. I've also learned, as a part of my scouting report to you, that during our grief, as we walk this journey, we are very, very vulnerable to the devil. I, um, I find that uh, the very first night that I was all alone in the house, I was suddenly awakened about 2 o'clock in the morning, overwhelmed with guilt that uh, I wasn't there the moment I died. Um, uh, by the way, our, our last 24 hours together were very, very precious. July 13 was a very busy day for me and I said to her at lunch, sweetheart, I've got a, a video conference call late in the afternoon. We could either have a, an early dinner um, before my video conference or if you were willing to wait, uh, we'll go out to dinner and she said, Let's go out to dinner. So we managed to get her into the car and take her down to Melrose and had a wonderful dinner in our favorite Mexican restaurant, Las Palmas, right there by the Kroger in Melrose. By the time we got home that night, she was just absolutely pushed. I had to help her with a wheelchair to get back into the house, and she was just totally exhausted. Energy was depleted. We went immediately to the bedroom. I helped her get ready for bed, got pajamas on. And then I gave her her meds and everything. And she was sitting on the edge of the bed. And she gazed into my eyes. This was Thursday night, July 13th. She gazed into my eyes. And she said to me, Charles, I love you so much. And of course, that was a tender moment. I, I reached over and embraced her and kissed her. And I said, sweetheart, there's no way you could love me more than I love you. And then she smiled and she said, and you're a very good doctor. Sometimes she would say And you're very bossy <laughs> But there was a tender moment And uh, those were the last words we ever spoke I pulled the covers up over her Said, Sweetheart, i got a few more things to do Before I go to bed yeah. Got up early the next morning When I came back, she was asleep Got up early the next morning to go to a Bible study at Christ Press that I've been going through for 30, 30 years 6.30 on Friday mornings and um, left her sweet note on her plate at the breakfast table with all the meds and the insulin and everything put laid out, a little place for her to check as she did it, and said, sweetheart, I love you very much. I'll be home at 8. I got home at 8. Nothing had been touched. I rushed back to the bedroom, and there she was. Her dead body laid across the bed. God had set her free. She had departed and left the old body behind. That's when my grief journey began. And that night, as I uh, tried to sleep fitfully, uh, I got up and I opened the Bible, never having slept, and I went immediately to the Proverbs chapter 31 to be reminded of what a wonderful woman she was as I read about that amazing woman at the end of the Proverbs. And then God took me in a strange way to the Psalms, Psalm 34, verse 18, where he says, God is close to the broken heart. And then I checked, there was a reference, and I went to the reference uh, Psalm 147 verse 3 where it says, God heals the brokenhearted. He's not just close to the brokenhearted, He heals the brokenhearted. And I found great comfort in all of that, and I spent the remainder of the night poring over other verses of scriptures and praying. And when the daylight came, I dressed and went to the kitchen, made a cup of coffee, etc. But then the very this night, I was awakened in the middle of the night with the devil accusing me. And he accused me of neglecting my wife, of not loving her well, of not being there when she died. Uh, he accused me of, um, of uh, abandoning her. And I was overwhelmed with guilt. And that not only happened that night, it happened again and again and again for the next several days. And I finally decided that it was time for me to get serious about spiritual warfare and I went to work. And I strapped on all the armor and uh, took the sword of the spirit and the devil and I had it out. And I said to him, you have no right to accuse the child of God. I belong to Jesus and he eventually backed off. But I want to warn you, your greed journey will be marked with efforts by Satan uh, to heap loads of guilt upon you, uh, to raise doubts in your heart about your relationship with God or God's love, and probably to tempt you to move in directions that would be unfaithful in terms of your own personal life. Uh, as a as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, so uh, <clears throat> I wanted to uh, share that with you. Uh, I, uh, I also made note here that <clears throat> one of the things I've learned on this journey is how important the resurrection is. When I got to see my brother down in Gainesville, uh, we had a few moments alone, and he said, "I." Uh, after I admitted Louise to hospice, she said to me, what did the doctor say? And I said, and I told her, Louise, the doctor said that the cancer has now metastasized throughout your body. And that uh, there's nothing he can do. And she says, that means I'm going to die. And he said, no, no, you're not going to die. She said, what do you mean I'm not going to die? She said, well, Jesus promised Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Yea, he that liveth and believeth in me will never die. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but I I have not yet used the word that my wife died. She's not dead. She didn't die. Her body died. The old house wore out. But God rescued her and took her to heaven. She's more alive today than she's ever been. And one of these days, I'm gonna be reunited with her. So, in the early part of my journey, I had to go back and revisit my faith. I had to do what football coaches talk about, you know, blocking and tackling, back to the basics. And so I began to wonder, is what the Bible said really true? is Alice really alive? Will I ever see her again? And as I wrestled through that in prayer, I came right back to the question, is Jesus lying to me or telling me the truth? Is he credible or not? And of course, it wasn't a big leap for me to say, I'll trust Jesus. I'll trust Jesus. Jesus not only told me that but he demonstrated that by his own resurrection and so I have now elevated in my own theological framework resurrection to a very high place and if you'll study the book of Acts you'll find again and again and again it's not just the death of Jesus and not just the life of Jesus it's the life, death and resurrection of Jesus which is the heart of the gospel message that the apostles preached. Another thing that I want to share with you is the fact that the community of believers is very, very important. I was sharing with Wes that I'm a blessed man because uh, I'm surrounded with a wonderful family. Four children, 19 grandchildren, one great grandchild. I know, I I don't look that old, but I... uh, And my children have loved me well. And while they've been grieving, the death of their mother and grandmother, they've also been mindful of the fact that my grief is different from theirs because I have lost uh, my life partner. She's no longer with me. People have asked me, well, what's it like? I said, well, it's not like losing my right arm. She was more than that. God made us one, so it's more like losing my heart. It's what I'm experiencing is kind of like a photograph of of me hugging and kissing my wife, but she's not there. We became one, and to take her out of my life is to radically change, radically change me and my capacity. She was for me the perfect suitable partner she was my accountability partner God knew my propensity to pry and so she regularly she would let me know that I'm not as great as I thought it was <laughs> and when people would would say great things about me what a wonderful man Charles is it must be wonderful being married to a man like Charles she said no not really) <laughs> God knew exactly what He was doing when He gave me her. And when she's taken out of my life, it's a big loss. So I have been good along. And all along the journey, as I walk the journey, there are people from time to time I find on the sidelines saying, get going, Charlie. Keep going. Keep going. God is with you. And then the final thing I want to say is that um, I've learned that solitude and loneliness can be my friend. Um, my biggest adjustment, to be honest with you, is living alone. I've never lived alone in my life. I grew up in a big family. I was youngest of seven children. Went off to college, had a roommate. Finished college, came back home until I went down to the army, lived at home again. Married Alice. I say to people, when i married Alice, I just swap roommates. And uh, a beautiful wonderful cuddly sweet roommate and she was my roommate for almost 59 years and getting used to that is not easy the first few weeks and months I kind of rattled around in the house not knowing really what I was going to do and where to go and I felt like they. The center point of my life had been taken away, and now I was kind of wobbly. And then Hank Dye Contacted me, and uh, he said, "I need to teach you how to do solitude." So you know, Hank. He was the vice president of the public relations at UT, and was an Elbert Christ press dive and mall. You are So he invited me to their home in Townsend, Tennessee, and we spent three days hiking in the the, uh, Smokies. As we walked together along the trails in the Smokies, he would stop from time to time, and he would turn and gaze at some beautiful tree or bird or something in nature, and he would say, Charles, just stop and look and be quiet. That's solitude. Do it as long as you can do it, and experience solitude. And then I think it was a few days after Alice left that um, Sarah Young suggested to me that I began to write. She said, well, a lot of people have offered to pray. Why don't you just uh, write them a letter? She said, I'm going to take you up on your prayers, and I'm going to start writing you periodically a little update on what's going on in my life so that you can pray for me uh, in a more focused way. And so I took her up on that and developed a a list of about 55 people who had promised to pray for me and periodically I would write them a letter. It's a wonderful opportunity for me to stop and be quiet and reflect and put in writing the things that God was doing in my life. And so I've learned that being alone and experiencing solitude can have a great benefit in my life. And uh, now I find uh, more co- I'm more comfortable uh, being alone and experiencing solitude. Sitting on my back patio gazing at the birds as they feed the feeders and enjoying the sunsets. And uh, the change of the seasons. Well, I, I wanted to share with you the fact that I am confident of this that God is going to keep his promise. He's promised to heal the brokenhearted. My heart's been broken. And I'm confident that God is going to heal my heart. I'm confident that I'm going to finish this journey and I'm going to finish it well. And I'm also confident that, that during the journey, God is changing me, and that when I get to the end, I'll be a different man. I think of Jacob, who encountered God by the Brook Jabbok, and God changed his name because he had wrestled with God and prevailed. And then we're told that he named the place Benial, because uh, he had that God face to face at that place. And you notice that He was changed in that moment But also he left Walking with a limp and, uh, and the limp regularly reminded him Of the fact that God had touched him And I'm reminded of the fact that Jesus On one occasion was Touched by a woman who pressed through the crowd Just to get to Jesus And she touched the hem of his garment and she was suddenly healed, and Jesus turned and said, Your faith has made you well, has given you healing. And then, over in Matthew chapter 14, I think it's verse, uh, verse 36, uh, we're told that all who touched Jesus were healed. My goal in this grief journey is not only to keep my eyes on Jesus, but to regularly touch him. Because in Jesus, In Jesus alone, we find healing for the world tonight. Thanks for listening. Wes?
3: Uh, Our dear brother, Charles, uh, we are profoundly moved by your scouting report. Uh, we deeply love you. You are deeply loved in this city. You're one of the fathers uh, of, of Nashville and of the Middle Tennessee. Um, we, I can't tell you personally how deeply I appreciate uh, your kindness in coming to us this morning. Reminded of my grandfather, my Amish grandfather, who close to the end of his life said, I won't leave this house much longer. I'm moving to the high country. Uh, and he did. Uh, in March of 1968 I have uh, so many things that I would love to say um, one of the things that I have learned in my own um, journey of limping toward a new world because I think that's what Jacob did and that's what we are doing you know, in the limps that we have in our life uh, we, we've limped toward uh, a better place and toward our healing now, um, and it's just a, it's an incredible thing and I have learned that Uh, the comfort that I have received uh, while um, the journey is different every situation is unique and the lonesome journey for every man has its own uniqueness the comfort that I have received and the comfort that you have received the comfort brothers that you have works for the guy next to you who needs that comfort today I'd like to do one thing in closing and I'd like you to offer a prayer Charles I'd like to have We've never done anything like this before, but those of you who have lost a spouse, would you come forward here? I'm going to ask Charles to pray for those brothers who have lost a spouse in life. Others, come on. The tender moment. Um, This is going to become uh, something that, yeah, uh, something that happens for many of us. And um, I also understand why... Linda has kept me in my place. She worked with Atlas too long in the, in the Christ Press uh, cafeteria with the, with the school kids, but uh, she has done the same thing for me. Um, Charles, come and, and um, offer a prayer for these brothers and for those of us who have yet to suffer the loss that you've experienced.
2: Father, it's a joy for me to stand with my brothers who are a part of the fellowship of suffering. And, the Father, we each know what it's like to have a broken heart. What it's like to have this great void in our lives that used to be filled by our life mate. And, Lord, what a joy it is for me to stand with them and to pray for them. To pray my your blessing upon them. And to pray that you would continue to, to bring healing to their hearts and even joy eventually to their souls. Uh, Lord, impress upon them that uh, their life continues and their ministry continues and the impact of their lives continues until you take them home. Uh, So Lord, uh, uh, we pray that you would give them hope, that you would give them confidence, uh, that you would give them uh, the joy of the Lord day by day, in Jesus' name. Amen. of Christ, dear brother,
0: You've been listening to the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. Go ahead and subscribe to this podcast and rate us on Apple Podcasts to spread the word. Remember to check out Harrington Interactive Media about getting your memoir on paper in a book. Mention the New Canaan Society when you go to harringtoninteractive.com.